Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day. It is uh, so good to see you guys here as we are finishing a series today that we've been calling This is Grace. And uh, let me just say that if you're a guest with us here this morning, thank you so much for being with us. We're so glad that you're able to come and check us out. And, uh, and in this series, if you're just kind of tuning in, basically what we've been doing is uh, we've been really kind of investigating and talking about this topic of grace. And quite frankly, the reason we've been doing that is because we've been saying that here at Grace Church, uh, we think that grace is really, really important. Um, not only is grace the name of our church, but it also is the message that, that we are really focused on. It is the thing that we kind of get jacked up about here as a church. And it's the thing that we honestly believe um, that an experience with the grace of God is what every person needs more than they might even know. Um, it has the, the power to transform a person's life inside and out. And so because of that, we've been going through this series together, kind of investigating the topic of grace. And uh, the big idea that we've been unpacking each week in this six-part series has been this. We've been saying the big idea is just that we believe that grace is not simply a concept to be understood, but grace is a reality to be experienced. Grace is not a concept to be understood. That is to say, grace is not just some abstract, theoretical, theological thing that sits in our minds. Um, grace is a reality. It's a reality that God extends to all of us that we can experience. And so the question then is not, do you know what grace is, right? Because for many of you, you could probably give me a definition of grace. The question rather that we've been investigating is, have you experienced grace? Because it is very possible, even for some of us that grew up in the church, that you may, you may have grown up knowing about grace, but maybe have never really truly experienced grace. And so it's because of that in this six-week series then, uh, rather than trying to give definitions and explanations about grace, we are instead looking at six indications that you've experienced grace, six indications, kind of symptoms of grace in your life. And so for the past five weeks, we've looked at five of those indications, and I would just encourage you that if you're a guest with us this morning, and if this, if this is intriguing to you at all and you'd like to check that out, um, you can go to our website, um, you can get our podcast, or you can watch those sermons, the previous sermons in the series for free. Um, as a way of catching up if you want to, and you could do that. But today, as we finish this series, I want to talk about the last indication, the sixth indication that you've experienced grace, and here's where we're going today. You know you've experienced grace when you delight in grace, when you delight in grace. And um, i just be real honest, I am really excited about the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, and so why don't we just jump in it. If you guys got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? We're going to go to Luke 15 this morning, Luke chapter 15, okay? So you can grab your Bibles and go there. Let me just also say that uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that is no problem. Uh, we actually have some available for you in those chairs. Hopefully you can grab one of those. And uh, Luke chapter 15 is going to be found on, on page 729 in those Bibles we have laid out there for you. Let me just also say that if you're a guest with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, you just flat out don't own one, just take one of ours, all right? You can just have one. Happy Mother's Day. Um, even if you're not a mom, your mom would want you to have a Bible. So go ahead and grab it. Turn to Luke chapter 15, all right? So go ahead and get there. As you guys are flipping there, um, back when I was about probably 12 or 13, uh, kind of in that preteen to early teenage stage of life, um, I had a little season, a little spell in my life when I got in trouble frequently um, for things that related to fire, all right? And so... I wouldn't say, I don't think I was a pyromaniac. I wouldn't say that, but I was definitely a pyro enthusiast. 
And so, so anything that, that would explode or burn or whether it went boom, I just loved it, right? Couldn't get enough of it. Now, the problem was, see, this is most boys, but the problem was at this point in my life, I did not yet have a healthy fear of fire. Didn't have it. And so I didn't fully understand the destructive power of fire and what happens when it gets out of control. I didn't have that fear yet, but all that changed one afternoon when I was about 13 years old. And the story kind of goes like this. So I had a buddy of mine was at my house spending the night and somehow, and I can't even remember how exactly it happened, but we got our hands on some firecrackers. And so we kind of devised a plan. We we're going to go out and we we're going to get away from my parents and get away from the house. And we were going to find a discreet place, which is impossible to light off firecrackers, right? So we were going to do that. So the way the house that I grew up in, the way it was set up, the backyard was about an acre. So there was about an acre of land. And then there was a fence. And then on the other side of the fence, there was a creek. And then on the other side of the creek, there was a hill with a big field that went up to the expressway. So I grew up right by the expressway, right? Grew up here in the Jake break at nighttime and all that kind of stuff. And so that was actually pretty convenient if you're looking to light off firecrackers because it was really loud. And so my friend and I, we went back there and underneath the expressway, there was this giant tunnel, cement tunnel that ran under the expressway, which was big enough that a human could walk through. And so we would do this often, which is entirely not safe. But we would walk through there, and, and one of the reasons we liked to go into this tunnel was because when you lit off firecrackers, it sounded awesome. And so we went back there, and we were lighting off firecrackers, and we were laughing about it and having a good time. And um, a little bit of time passed, and of course, we ran out of firecrackers really quickly. And so we just started to light other stuff on fire, right? Just pretty much anything that was around us, so sticks and all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't really exactly recall how it happened, but I do remember that at some point as we were lighting stuff on fire... I looked around and noticed that everything around me was on fire. And, and, and when I say it was on fire, I don't just mean like a little bit, I mean as far as the eye could see in either direction, the entire side of the expressway was blazing on fire. And, and so I panicked, right? I didn't want to get caught, so I started freaking out. My friend and I in our, in our frivolous efforts, tried to put the fire out, right? We tried to put it out. We went down to the creek and we were grabbing handfuls of water and we were throwing it on the fire. And I, so the adrenaline was pumping so high in this moment that I didn't even realize that in the process of doing this, I burnt my lip, my face. I singed my eyebrows off. They were just gone off my face, trying to put this fire out. And so as we're doing this, my mom comes outside to the fence because, you know, her backyard was on fire. And so she comes out. And, and she looks at me and she says, Tony, she says, did you do this? And I look up at her, my eyebrows off, <laughs> my lips swollen, right? I couldn't hide it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And, and my mom, my poor mom, I'm just telling you guys, if you want to give your mom a great Mother's Day gift, don't play with fire. It's a bad idea. My poor mom, she took me in the house and um, she called 911 and the fire department came and they put the fire out and she could tell, she could see it in me. I was rattled. Um, I did not have the fear of fire in me and now I did. I was terrified. And my mom knew that. So I remember she said, why don't you just lay down and take it easy? She's like, put some ice on your lip. And then she's like, and we'll figure out what we're gonna do when your dad gets home. <laughs> now I was already scared. All right, but you guys know what this is like, right? Dad's coming home, and I thought for sure, I'm done, man. I am a dead man. And, uh, and so I still remember my dad came in the house. I remember I heard, I heard him walk in, and I heard him say, what happened? Because obviously you could see. 
that the backyard was fried. And, um, and so I heard my mom and him kind of mumbling upstairs. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but I knew it was over for me. My dad came downstairs and he said, uh, he said hey, why don't we uh, go get in the truck? He's like, I have to go to the gas station. Why don't you just come ride with me? And I was like, he's going to take me to a bridge and throw me off. <laughs> and I'm just goner. So I got in the truck with him and we drove to, uh, no, I got in the truck and I remember he started the truck, but he left it in park. And, we were, and the way that the truck was facing in the driveway, we were facing the backyard. So we were both looking at this smoldering black side of the expressway, right? And um, I, I'll never forget my dad, my dad just looked at it and I'm just sitting there like, I'm, I'm a dead man, you know? My, my dad goes, he goes, so uh, you did that, huh? I was like, yeah. And my dad, then my dad, no joke, he starts chuckling. And, and I was like, what, what's so funny? And he goes, well, he goes, I can't be too mad at you. I was like, why is that? He goes, because when I was your age, my cousin John and I set a forest on fire. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, my cousin John and I, you know, we were playing in the creek, and one of us got wet, and then we were trying to dry off, so we built a fire, and it got out of control. And the whole forest was on fire. So he goes, I guess it kind of runs in the family. <laughs> and... Uh, and then we just kind of, we started laughing about it. And then my dad looks at me and he says, in all seriousness, he said to me, he goes, I bet you'll never do that again, will you? He could tell. I was just shaken. I was rattled to the core. He said, you'll never do that again, will you? And I said, no, I will not. And he said, okay. And that was the end of it. And we went to the gas station. We never spoke of again. And I'm telling you guys, I was shocked at the unexpected grace that my father showed me. I did not get what I deserved. I deserve to be grounded for life. Let's just be honest. I probably deserve to be arrested. And, and yet I was let off the hook. My dad showed this grace to me. Now, I just want to tell you that because the passage we're going to look at this morning in Luke 15 is full of unexpected grace. Unexpected grace after unexpected grace. And you guys, I think that this chapter in the Bible says so much about the grace of God that if we could get a hold of what Jesus is teaching us here about the grace of God, that it could have the power to transform your life. I really believe that. I believe that this is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible as it relates to understanding God. Some of you might remember if you were here the first week as we um, started this series, we actually started by looking at Luke chapter 15. We started by looking at the most famous parable that Jesus ever gave, the parable of the prodigal son, right? And some of you might be familiar with that parable, but that's the first one that we looked at in this series. And now as we finish this series at week six, I want to go back to Luke chapter 15. I want to go back to the prodigal son because I believe there's an element to that story, to that parable that is oftentimes missed. And I believe the part that is oftentimes missed, missed is the most important aspect of the whole parable and it's the key to understanding it entirely. And so we're gonna do that today. Now, in order for us to do that, we gotta go all the way back to the beginning of the passage to look at the context. And so let's start in verse one, Luke 15. All right, check it out. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Okay, so the passage begins here. Let's just pause there. Here's the context. The Bible says that Jesus is hanging out, sitting down and eating with what the Bible calls tax collectors and sinners. Some of you might know that was a classification of people back in this time who were ostracized by the religious community. They were known for living immoral lifestyles that were not congruent with what the Bible taught. 
So the Bible says that Jesus was hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors. And there was another group of people, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. These guys would, of course, have been the, the religiously upstanding. Um, they would have been the ones who kept the law perfectly. They would have been the ones that everyone would have looked at and said, they're good people. And the Bible says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw that Jesus was associating with this class of people, the sinners and the tax collectors, and their response was they began to grumble about it. They began to, to, to murmur to each other, right? They were frustrated that Jesus was doing that. Now, I want you to understand that because that's going to help us understand the next, the next parables that Jesus goes into because Jesus is now going to launch into not one parable, but three parables back to back to back. Back in this time, rabbis would say that parables were like pearls, right? That they, 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 they're, they're more beautiful when they're strung together, when you string them together. And so Jesus is going to string three parables together for us to make one incredibly profound point, all right? So let's take a look at it. Let's look at the first parable, the first pearl that Jesus gives. He starts off, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. So this is the first parable Jesus gives. Jesus says, so here's a parable. There was a, a shepherd, had some sheep, had 100 sheep. One of the sheep gets lost, meanders off. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 in the open field to go after the one that is lost when he finds the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Then he goes home and he calls everyone together and he has a party about it, all right? Now, I know for you and I as modern readers, one of the things that appears shocking to us is that this shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to go pursue the one. That seems like it's irresponsible. That seems like it's really not a good move to leave the 99 open and susceptible to danger to go after the one. But I just want you to understand that for the, for, the, for the first century readers, that probably wasn't shocking for them, that the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. That was pretty normal. Uh, in fact, shepherds back in this time, they oftentimes worked with, with co-shepherds. They would have assistants that worked with them. In addition to that, sheep tend to be flocking animals. And so if they're together in the field, it's probably less likely that they're going to meander off. And so that, that, that wasn't shocking for any of the original hearers. Now, what would have been shocking would have been the shepherd's response. That was the shocking part. When the, when the shepherd found the sheep, that was shocking. Because I want you to notice what it says. Look at it again. It says that when he finds the sheep, look at this, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Notice Jesus wants us to understand the disposition of the shepherd. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And then watch this next part. And, and then he goes home. He calls his friends and his neighbors together. He says, rejoice with me that I found my sheep. He says, there's a party that ensues after it. Now, this part would have been shocking to them, and I understand that. Because to me, I'm just guessing, I'm just, I'm just imagining, if I was a shepherd and one of my sheep meandered off, and I had to inconvenience myself to go after it and kind of instigate a search party to go find this thing, when I found it, I don't think I would joyfully put it on my shoulders. Right? For me, I'm just saying, I'd probably frustratedly put it on my shoulders. Like, you stupid sheep. You know, I put it on my shoulders. I'd be like, Why, what are you doing over here? Get back in. You know, and I, that's the way I would be. And I'm just telling you, not only would I probably not joyfully bring the sheep back, I definitely wouldn't call my friends and have a party about it, right? I wouldn't be like, come over and have a barbecue. Because I'm just saying, if this was me and I was having a barbecue with my friends, we would be having rack of lamb. We'd have lamb chops. I'm just saying, that's me, all right? And so here's the unexpected part. The unexpected part 
was that the shepherd was so happy when he found the sheep, he had a party about it. And everyone would have been like, what? He's like, yeah. And then watch his conclusion. Check this out. Jesus concludes that parable in verse 7. I tell you, the same way there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven. There's going to be a party in heaven over one sinner who repents. than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I want you guys to see something that we're going to notice in all three of these parables. There's a pattern that Jesus is going to reveal to us. And here's the pattern. In each parable, there is something lost, there is something found, and there's a party. There is something lost, there is something found, and then there's an unexpected celebration, right? Unexpected grace. We see it in the first parable. Now watch what Jesus does, because as I said, he doesn't give us one parable, he gives us three. So Jesus moves to the second parable. Let's check this out, starting off in verse eight. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. All right, let me just say something about that. A silver coin back in that time, commentators estimate would have been equivalent to about one day's wage. So this was a pretty significant amount of money. This wasn't like losing a penny. Um, it was like losing one day's worth of wage, right? So she loses a coin. Look at this. Does she, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, look at this again. She calls her friends and she calls her neighbors together. And she says, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. Now this parable, pretty similar to the first one, right? We see that, there's, uh, that she loses a coin. She instigates a search for the coin. The Bible says she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She's very diligent to find it. Then eventually she finds the coin. And what does she do? She calls her neighbors. She calls her friends. She says, we've got to get together. We've got to have a party. Everyone's got to come over because I found my lost coin. Now, once again, I don't know anyone who's having a party for, for an object that they lost and they found. I mean, is anyone in the room getting any RSVPs for an I found my phone party? Is that <laughs> happening to anybody? This was unexpected, right? Unexpected grace. And then watch Jesus. He concludes again. Look at the, in verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See what Jesus says again? He says, look, here's the pattern. There's something lost. There's something found. And then there's a party. And he says, and this is the way it is with God. There is something lost. There is something found. And then there's a party. And so Jesus now has given us two parables. He, he, is, he is honing in to make a very strong point, And now he's going to move on to his third parable. Now, before we take a look at that, I want you to see the brilliance of what Jesus is doing, right? He's stringing these three parables together. He's preparing to make a very, very profound point. But notice that as he does it, he decreases number to increase focus and to increase the power of his point. So it goes from 100 sheep to 10 coins, and now it's going to be two sons. See what he's doing? And now he, he, he targets in, he lasers in to make his point. And so the Bible tells us that he goes on to talk about the third parable. And the third parable, as many of you know, is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, um, like I said, the first week that we were together, we looked at this in depth. And so for our purposes today, I'm just going to summarize for you what that parable is about. But I just want to encourage you um, that if you get an opportunity... Um, I, would, I would really encourage you to check out our first message on that parable. That parable is so rich and it, is, it speaks so much about the character of God and it's just a powerful thing. But basically here it is in a nutshell. So the parable of the, of the prodigal son is that there was a father, he had two sons and one day the younger son came to him and he demanded his inheritance from his dad which uh, many of you know if you were here the first week that would have been basically the same as saying I wish you were dead 
dad. And so the son comes to his dad, demands his inheritance, and the Bible says he takes his inheritance and he squanders it in wild living. He, 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 he shamelessly rebels against his father, spends all of his money on prostitutes, on partying, and eventually we're told that he gets to the place where he runs out of money, he has no home, he has no friends, and the Bible says that he hits rock bottom, and it says that he comes to his senses. And one day he says to himself, what am I doing? What am I doing? In my father's house, even the servants eat more than I do. And so the Bible says that he decides he's going to go back to the father. Now, he doesn't know if his father's going to accept him. He doesn't know if his father's going to forgive him. In fact, he's probably prepared that his father is going to disown him. But he begins to prepare a speech. And the Bible says that this younger son who's rebelled against his father starts to come home. And the Bible says that when the father saw his son, he was a long way off. And why did the father see his son when he was a long way off? Because he was looking for him. Because there was something lost, and now he's searching for his lost son. And the Bible says when his son was a far way off, you know what the father did? The father ran to him. He came out to him. And, and, and as you guys know, if you were here the first week, that was an unspeakable thing for men to do back in this time. Powerful what he does. And the Bible says the father runs to him. He tackles him, starts kissing him and hugging him. And the son starts to try to apologize to his dad, but the dad won't even have it. He's just like, whatever, my son is home. You were lost and now you're found. I'm so happy. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And he's like, you're forgiven. You're totally forgiven. And he lavishes grace on his son. And then you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that what happens next is they have a party. And, and he says, we're getting the neighbors, man. We're getting all the servants. We're gonna, we're gonna kill the fattened calf. We're gonna have this massive celebration because my son who was lost, it's found. And you know what the Bible says? Something lost, something found, and there's a party. Three times, three times, there's a lost sheep, a found sheep, a party, a lost coin, a found coin, a party, a lost son, a found son, and then there's a party. You guys, what is the point that Jesus is making? Do you see it? The point that Jesus is making is about God's unexpected delight in showing grace. God delights in showing grace. Did you know that? Did you know that? God loves to show grace. One of the things about this passage that maybe isn't real evident at first glance, but if you dig into it a little bit, it becomes very evident, is the repetitive use of one word that is used six times in this passage. And it's the word that we translate joy or rejoice. And let me just show you how many times this shows up in this passage. Just pull this up. Look at this. Verse five, talking about the shepherd. It says, he joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. It's the disposition. He joyfully does it. Verse six, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Verse seven, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven. Verse nine, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Verse 10, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over God when, when a sinner repents. Verse 32, we had to be glad, we had to celebrate, and we had to be glad is what the Bible says. Now, here's the important thing. The word that's used in the original language for every single one of those occasions is the root word that we get our word for grace. Grace. God's delight in showing grace. Now, one of the things that we've never done in this series in our entire time is offer a definition of grace. 
And the reason is because we've been saying grace is not a concept to be understood. It's a reality to be experienced. But because it's week six, I want to give you a definition of grace that I think is probably really, really, really helpful. This comes from Vine's Expository Dictionary of the Bible. Here it is. Here's the definition of grace. I love this. Grace is God's friendly disposition from which his kindly acts proceed. It is God's friendly disposition. Here it is. It's God's unmerited favor to you. It is his delight, his kindness that leads to repentance. Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, just because God likes it. He likes you. Doesn't just love you. Likes you. It's his friendly disposition to you and I. That's what we're talking about. And and this is such a profound thing, you guys, because what it tells us is that God is not reluctant in showing grace. Some of you in your mind, you're like, God shows me grace, but it's because he has to. God is not stingy in showing grace. God is not sparse. He's not frustrated in showing grace. That's not God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says he lavishes grace on us. I love the way it's put in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Here's what it says. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Look at this, that he's lavished on us. You guys know what lavished means? That means increasingly, abundantly, more than you could expect or imagine. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about lavish. When I think about lavish, you know what I think about? I think about five guys, burgers and fries. You guys ever go to five guys? I love that place, man. Little piece of heaven. And uh, admittedly, my wife and I are burger people, all right? I'll just say it. I don't know if you could tell, but my wife and I are burger people, and we like to go out, and, uh, and we're really into uh, anytime someone tells us about a little dive that's got great burgers, we're always checking it out. And so if you know any place, let me know, because I'm interested in that kind of thing. And years ago, there was a place we used to really like to go to, and they had these burgers that were just phenomenal. Served them on a pretzel bun. It was incredible. And one of the things we loved about the place so much was that you would get a side of sweet potato fries, and I'm telling you, these things were amazing. You get the sweet potato fries and you get some beer cheese to dip it in and you would eat it and you were like, I'm sure Jesus is coming back any moment because this is <laughs> heavenly, right? It was incredible. And we loved going there. It was awesome. And, and we would go there and we'd order it. But we noticed over time that the more we went and we ordered the sweet potato fries and the burgers, they started to skimp out, man. And, and, and we're like, what's the deal, you know? And so I'd order fries and I'd be like, you know, they give me like seven. Like, where are my fries, you know? And the burger was like this big now. And, and I was like, man, this is... And so you know what we did? We stopped going. And apparently everyone else did too because it closed, right? But man, you ever go to Five Guys? That place is awesome, man. You go to Five Guys, I'm just telling you, if you've never been there, there is no need for you to order anything bigger than a small fry. Because you know what they do with them fries? They lavish them on you, right? They're like, they give you a little cup and they give you a brown paper bag uh, and they just like scoop it in there and they just give you like so many, I used to imagine there's a guy in the back who's just like laughing. He's like, you want fries, huh? <laughs> you know, so I kind of imagine this happening. I, you have no reason to order a large fry there because they probably have to serve it in a wheelbarrow, man. They lavish it on you. And here's what I'm saying, man. God lavishes grace on us. He is not stingy. He's not sparse in it. Man, he pours it down on us. He loves, oh, that we might comprehend how much delight God shows in extending grace to sinners. God loves to save sinners. 
God loves when something is lost is found. And every time you and I are lost in our marriage, in our finances, when we're rebelling against God in some area of our life and our addictions, and the moment we turn to him and say, God, I need your help, God is not reluctant. He loves to show grace. He's like, I was waiting for you. And I want to bestow and lavish my grace on you. God loves, delights in showing grace to us. You guys, grace is God's MO. It is the way that he operates. And if you don't understand grace, quite frankly, you don't understand God because there is no other way to approach him than through his grace. It's the way that God operates is through grace. Something lost, something found. And there's a party. Something lost, something found. There's a party. Something lost, something found. And there's a party. God delights in showing grace. And that's the point that Jesus is making. But now... I want you to see the real brilliance of Jesus because Jesus is gonna take this third parable and he's gonna show us something in the third parable that does not exist in the other two parables. So we've seen it. The lost sheep, something lost, something found, party. We've seen the lost coin, something lost, something found, party. We see the son, something lost, something found, party. But there's a fourth act in the third parable and it's meanwhile. Something lost, something found, party. Meanwhile, now watch what Jesus does here. This is so important. Check it out. Look at verse 25. Jump down. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So check this out. Jesus just told this incredible story about this sinful son who has rebelled against his dad and has just experienced lavish grace in his life. And now the Bible says, so you got this, you got this picture in your mind. Now the Bible says, meanwhile, so it's like the camera zooms over now to the field and the older brother is there. So the other brother, watch this. The older brother was in the field and when he came near the house, now check this out, this is just awesome. He heard, he heard, what's it say? He heard music and what? Dancing. He heard dancing. Now can we just be straight for a minute? There are parties and there are parties. Am I right? Right, there are parties, right, like the kind where everyone taps out kind of early and no one's on the dance floor. Everyone's kind of there out of obligation. There's those parties. But then there are parties. You know what I'm talking about? The parties where everyone's on the dance floor. Even grandma's out there cutting the rug. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone's doing the cha-cha slide. You can hear the dancing. And the Bible says that's the kind of party that's going on here. So the son's out in the field. He hears the music and he hears the dancing. And, and he's like, what's going on? And so check this out, verse 26. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? So he's like, is there a wedding going on? What's happening in there? And then the servant says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. Watch verse 28. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and he pleaded with him. Now this, by the way, I believe is the most unexpected act of grace of them all. The, the, son, the older son hears the party and he's, he's frustrated about it. And so rather than going in, he's like, I'm not going in. I'm just gonna stay out here. I'm just gonna sulk. I'm gonna set, I mean, I'm like, that's your play, really? That's what you're gonna do? You're gonna be like, I'm not, I'm not partying. Yeah. You know, that's what he does. And he goes out and he sits and like, like a little toddler, if any of you guys have toddlers, you know how this works? Goes out and he pouts. But look at what the father does. This is so key. I think this is the most unexpected act of grace of them all. It says the father went out and he pleaded with him. He's like, please, please don't be like that. Please, come on, come in. Come into the party. 
please, come on, join in the celebration, man. Your son, your, 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 your brother's back. My son is back. Come on, right? He doesn't, the father isn't mad at him. He's not frustrated at him. He pleads with him. Now watch this. The son says in verse 29, but the son answered his father, look, which by the way, in the original language, that's very derogatory. That's like saying, look you, look you, is what he says. All of these years, I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother. It's disowned him. When that son of yours comes home, after he squandered his property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You guys hear this, man? You just hear his whining in this? He's like, well, he comes home. And you, I never even got a young goat. <laughs> really, dude? Really? That's what you're upset about? You want a goat? That's what you want, right? Watch the father's response, verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me. and Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother, see what he says? Not my son, your brother. This brother of yours was dead in his sins and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And then the parable just ends. That's it. And we're left with, with, a, with a curious verdict. We're wondering, how does it end? Does the older brother stay out and pout? Does he continue to sulk? Or does he go in the party? And you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us. And you know why? Because this is Jesus' brilliance. The, the words of the father to the older brother are Jesus' invitations to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Remember at the beginning, the religious leaders and the Pharisees were like, why is he hanging out with them? Jesus says, let me tell you a story real quick. There's a coin, or there's a man with a sheep. Something lost, something found. There's a party. That's what God's like. And he's like, and then there was a woman who had a coin. She lost it, and then she found it. And there was a party. That's what God's like. And then he's like, and then there was a son, a human. Something lost, something found. There's a party. But then there was an old, older brother who was sulking about it and who was mad about it. And you know what the father did to him? He pleaded with him. He said, why don't you come in the party? you come in and watch you celebrate. It was Jesus' invitation to the Pharisees and to the self-righteous to enter into the joy and the delight of grace that God shows in saving sinners. Because one of the most amazing things about this parable, I think, in my opinion, is that I think we get it mixed up sometimes. We, we call this parable, and historically it's been known as the parable of the prodigal son. I think that's inaccurate. I think it's the parable of the prodigal son's Think about it, both of them had a lot in common. They were both lost. They, they did it in different ways. But think about it, both of them wanted the father's possessions more than they wanted a relationship with the father. Think about it, the, the younger son comes to his dad and he says, you know what, dad, give me my, my inheritance, I'm done with you. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna distance myself from you and live how I want, right? And so he wanted his dad's, his dad's possessions, but he didn't want his, his relationship with his father. But the older son's not different, is, is he? Because we're told that he, he approaches it totally differently. He tries to obey his father to get things from him. That's why his response, if you noticed, was, all of these years I've been slaving for you, yet you've never given me a good. You see what he's saying? The younger son is saying, I'm not putting up with you. I'm gonna go live how I want, right? The, 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 the older son is saying, um, I will put up with you so that I can get the things from you. Two totally, totally different sides of the coin, but the same heartbeat. One of the things you guys notice about both of these sons, you notice both of them estranged themselves from the father. 
The younger son run away, runs away from the father. And what does the father do? The father runs to him in grace, right? What about the older son? Well, the older son estranges himself from the father too, doesn't he? The older son stays away from the party. He distances himself from the father. And what does the father do to him? He goes out to him and he invites him in in grace. You see, you guys, what we have here is a picture of two lost sons and God in his grace is extending it to both of them, both the older and the younger son, the prodigal sons. And what this passage reveals to us about God is that everyone comes to God through the relationship of grace. It's how we come in. And, and God extends grace and he delights in showing grace, not only to, this, to the, the sinful, rebellious person, but also to the self-righteous, prideful person. God shows grace not only to the younger brother, but he also shows grace to the older brother. And he invites them both in. You guys, this morning, for some of you, you might be the younger brother. That might be you. You might be the one who, who ran out and has been, in, been living in rebellion against God. You might be the person that is, that is shaking your fist at God and say, I don't want anything to do with you. And you've turned and you've made decisions now that you regret and that were harmful to you. And for some of you, if you're a person that's a younger brother, you, you want to turn back to God, but maybe for you, you're, you're scared because you believe that God is not gonna forgive you, that he's not gonna show you grace, right? You believe that you don't deserve God's grace. And here's the good news. You don't deserve God's grace. But the good news is that God delights in showing grace. And every time we turn to him, he is anxious and willing to, to, to lavish his grace on us. For some of us, we're younger brothers in this room. And we need to turn to God and experience his grace in our lives. But can we just be honest? For some of us in this room today, man, we're the older brother. We're the older brother. And somewhere in our hearts, we believe that because we, we've kept the rules and we've done well and we go to church, that God owes us something. That somehow because of that, we deserve God's grace. Right? And, and, we, we say things like, man, I don't know how, how that person could live a sinful life and then right before they die, they can accept Jesus. And I've, I've lived this, I've slaved my whole life to obey God and, and what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't know how God could forgive that person. He couldn't, I, I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. I just, God owes me. I deserve his grace. What are you talking about? We don't deserve God's grace, but he delights in showing it to us. And, and grace is the level playing field in which all of us come to our heavenly father. For some of us, we're the younger brothers. For some of us, we're the older brothers. The good news is that God extends grace to both. And he invites both. And he says, come and join the party. You guys, how do you know that you've experienced grace? Here's how you know. You know you've experienced grace when you begin delighting in grace. Once you start to realize God's delight in showing you grace in your sinful rebellion, God's delight in showing you grace in your self-righteous pride in your older brother or your younger brother syndrome. Once you come to realize God's delight in showing grace, you know what happens? You begin to delight in showing grace too. All of a sudden, you're not reluctant to show grace. You're not stingy in dispensing grace. You're not frustrated to show grace, but like your heavenly father, you love to extend it. You look forward to extend it. You find opportunities to extend the grace that God has showed you because you realize the grace that God has shown you and the delight that he has in giving it and it results in you dispensing the grace as well. You know you've experienced grace when you delight in grace. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they do, I wanna close just with one final invitation and then we'll be finished. But I just wanna invite you, for some of you, 
over the course of this series as we've been talking about grace, we've been looking at grace for the past six weeks, or even if it's your first time here, just here today, maybe for the first time, grace has made sense to you in a way it never has before. Look, the truth is, I know that when we talk about the grace of God, it creates tension. I know that when we talk about the grace of God, it creates more questions sometimes than it does answers. But, but we're talking about an experience, not a concept. And, and the grace of God, I believe, is what all of us need to truly be transformed by God. It has the power to transform us. And if you're a person who in this room would say that in this series, the series, the, the coin is dropped, something made sense, and, and you're like, grace makes sense to me like it never has before. And, 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 and I understand grace. I comprehend grace in a way that I never had before. If that's you, I want to encourage you and I want to invite you um, I want to invite you to, 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 to declare that grace in your own life, an invitation to, to obey and follow Jesus, and maybe for some of you even for the first time, to embrace that grace that God has, has brought into you. And, and so what that looks like, honestly, is it looks like a surrender of your heart. It looks like saying, God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to be defined. I want to be directed by your grace. I, I want to I give my life over to, it, to, to you and to your grace. I want to ask you to transform my heart inside and out. I've tried living life on my own. I've tried defining things on my own. For some of you, you're like, I've tried religion. For some of you, you're like, I tried wild living, but neither of them amounted to anything, neither religion or wild living. It's grace. It's the grace of God. And maybe for some of you today, you want to embrace that for the first time. If that's the case, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. I'm gonna pray. And you can follow me in my prayer if you'd like to. Nothing special about my prayers, like they're magic or anything like that. It's like the pastor's prayer have, have like you know, magic power on them or anything. But just between your heart and God's heart, just talk to him and embrace the grace that he has for you, the delight that he shows in saving us. He loves it, he loves it. And then I wanna encourage you to do something, something else too. And this will come next week. But I wanna encourage you that if you're a person that has embraced grace for the first time in this series, I actually wanna challenge you in the next couple of weeks to be baptized. And, and we're gonna get into a series next week. We're gonna explain what baptism is and why that's a necessary part of responding to the grace of God. But I wanna encourage you to pray about that and think about that as we continue this conversation talking about baptism. So let's pray together and we'll sing and be done. Heavenly Father, today I embrace your grace. And um, God, maybe for some of us, we've never understood it before. Maybe for some of us, we've never experienced it before. But Lord, as, as, we, as we talk and as we look at these passages, we see very clearly um, that grace is, is your MO, that you delight in showing grace, you lavish it on us, and so, Father, I pray that your grace would be alive in me. We know that grace is a person, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth, both equally, and that in him is grace. And so, Father, maybe for someone here today for the first time, they embrace Christ and the gift that he's given us in his grace. Lord, for the person who's been trying to live their own way, is tired, Lord, I, I, and they want to embrace your grace, I ask you, Father, that they would do that today between their heart and your heart, just to pray. Ask you to come in their life to define and direct it, to give surrender, to give control over to you. I pray that would happen. Father, we love you, 
and we don't deserve your grace. We don't. But I am so thankful that you love to give it. God, I am so thankful that you extend grace to the self-righteous. I am so grateful that you extend grace to, to the rebellious. And Father, I'm both. I'm both. The older brother and the younger brother. And I need your grace. And so Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Solidify the words that we've read today out of your word. I pray they would do their work and that the word of God would not return void. We pray these things with faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ.